to uh, Romans chapter 12, and as you're turning there, uh, let me talk just for a minute about what you just heard, Orange Fest. November 2nd, we have a giant outreach coming up that we've just called Orange Fest. Uh, it, it's, it's the new trunk or treat. Uh, we're changing the name, changing the way that, that it happens. And so basically think Open House Festival. Uh, it's gonna, we're going to open up much of our building. We're going to have a lot of different things on the property that night. Uh, here's the reason why. We live in the most unchurched county in the state of Alabama, and God has planted our church in this soil for this time. And so we want to do everything we can do to reach out and to touch our community and our city. I don't know any segment of society today that has more pressure on it than the family. And this is a huge opportunity to say to moms and dads and kids and families that God loves you, God cares about you, this church cares about you. There's a place that you can go and get help. There's a place that you can go and grow. There's a place that you can go. There's a spiritual family. I love that testimony we heard this morning. What does baptism mean to you? It means, it means family. And so I want to ask you to help us on this night. There's so many things that, um, that we can do. On the website, you can go to kingwoodchurch.com, go to the serve button. You can see a thing that says Orange Fest. You hit that underneath, it gives you all the opportunities, eight or ten different opportunities, ways you can help us that night uh, to, to just reach out, to care, to help, to, um, to bless people. Here's some of the things you can do. You can decorate a trunk. You can uh, dress up in a, a fairy tale character. I'm assuming that's for ladies. I don't, you know, I don't know. It's not, we're not that kind of deal. So fairy, fairy tale character. You can dress up in a pirate or some of you who like Duck Dynasty or want to go low country. We got a Cajun area. You can dress up for that. We need candy elves. We need a welcome team. We need uh, folks to help us with several shifts on the inflatables, uh, trash and cleanup. There's so many things you can do. We need about 100 uh, servants. So here's the two things we need most to make this event work. We need candy and we need servants. And so maybe you could think about how could you as a family, we have whole families that volunteer to serve. It's kind of a neat thing for you to get to serve together as your family. And so maybe some of you say our whole family could serve at a trunk or could serve some other place, be part of the welcome team, do cleanup, inflatables, whatever. Uh, maybe your life group, maybe your life group leader and you say, you know, our life group would like to adopt this area of Orange Fest and we'd like to serve there. Uh, so there's a lot of different ways you can serve, but the main thing that we need to reach this city, to reach out this season, are we need servants and we need candy. I ran into a family this morning who brought candy and said, hey man, we've been picking up candy at Publix. They actually got to buy one, get one free right now. This is our second trip. And so I think that lasts for a while. So if you want to help us go buy some candy, we got a place out there that you can put it. If you want to go online and say, look, I, I don't have time to get by the store, but if you'll go to the Orange Fest spot there, there's a place that you can buy a bag of candy. Basically, you're just giving us the money and we go buy the candy. Uh, but we'd love for you to help us. Out in the foyer today, you can sign up. You can sign up online. You can also get a t-shirt today. We'll all be wearing uh, serve team shirts that day. So I want to ask you to come out and help us. It's going to be a fantastic time to touch our city uh, in a time when a lot of people are open to, uh, to be reached out to. Here's the other thought I want to give you before I share the message. We just had a historic event at Kingwood Christian School. Maybe you're new to Kingwood today, and uh, maybe you're not aware. We actually have a preschool a CDC Child Development Center, and we have a kindergarten through 12th grade 
uh, school, elementary, middle school, high school. We just had a huge, huge, huge honor happen in our school. Actually, two things. Kingwood Christian School was voted uh, best private school in the state, uh, or I'm sorry, in the uh, Shelby County area. Best private school. Here's the other thing. Our junior varsity girls volleyball team just won state. They're state champions. Is that incredible? Really, really neat. Neat thing. And let me tell you their record. 50 and 0. Whoa. I, don't really, I wouldn't even want to show up if I was the other team, would you? So look, I, I don't know if you're looking uh, for a great school, uh, if you have a child or a relative or a friend that's looking, but I'll tell you, we've got one. Uh, and so Kingwood Christian School is doing an incredible job. So we celebrate them today. All right, this morning we're continuing our series we've called History or His Story. In other words, we said last week that the Bible is His story. The Bible is God's story. This is the story of God. This is the story of how God created the world and how God has interacted with us across uh, time. This is His story. Uh, Today I want to share this thought with you. His story transforms me. So last week we said the Bible is his story. This week we're going to say his story transforms me. Several years ago uh, when my wife and I were pastoring in uh, Mississippi, there was a man in our church who was a police officer in Gulfport, and he came to us, he and his uh, girlfriend came to us, a fiancé, came to do premarital counseling to prepare for marriage. Uh, It's a long, complicated story. But when we came to the end of it, we got to the crossroads where, okay, you and your girlfriend are living together, you're not married, and you want to get married, and you want me to do the ceremony, and you want to have the ceremony in our church, but you want to live together until you're married and you don't want to move out. And so that's kind of the point. I'm making a lot of history short. And so I said, you know, um, you want to start your marriage off on the right foot. And so what I want to ask you to do is I want to ask you to move out and you guys need to live separately until you're married. And then let's start the marriage, let's start the marriage right. Let's start the marriage in a way that honors God and put, puts God first. And so he just didn't agree with that. He disagreed. He said, no, I, I, don't, I don't see any need in that. I don't think we have to do that. And so anyway, through a long story, we came through, it came, it came to lunch. <laughs> so we had to have a lunch. So I said, man, look, I I love you. Um, You're welcome at our church. I want you to be here. I want you to know God. I want you to love God. This is one of those very awkward moments in pastoring where you say, look, I can't perform the ceremony, and uh, I'm not going to oversee it because I feel like that you're, you're not being honest with what the Bible's telling you and what God expects. And so I can't do that. And, and then it came to a point where we had to withdraw his membership. I said, look, this was months of time, but I said, look, I, I can't, we can't give you the signal that everything you're doing is okay. We, we can't communicate that to you. I didn't know all of this is happening. I didn't know all this was going on. But there's, we can't, as a church in good faith, communicate to you that you have a good relationship with God and everything's okay when it's not. So I love you. I want you to come to our church. I want you to grow. I want you to get close to God. But, but we've reached an impasse now, and, and you've been unwilling to change. And so I don't know what else I can do. 
Well, through that turn of events, it caused him uh, to go into a time of introspection. And actually, I'm, I'm holding my, in my hand today a book that he wrote. And in the foreword of the book, he writes, I want to read the first paragraph for you. He writes in the introduction the other part of the story, uh, the end of the story that I just told you. Here's what he said. It was a nice spring day in South Mississippi when I had lunch with my pastor who gave me some information that I didn't want to hear. The resulting disagreement led to an intense few weeks of study and prayer and asking God to help me to find the truth. I knew why my pastor felt the way he did, but disagreed with him, and I really wanted to know what Jesus said about it. I love my pastor, but Jesus is a greater authority. I'll admit, I started out to prove my pastor wrong, but what happened was that I changed my source of information. I truly began to rely on God to teach me. A few weeks later, my pastor and I had a follow-up lunch, and and we... uh, agreed to disagree from the beginning, but the discussion that followed about what I'd learned almost brought both of us to tears. In my prayer and study, God showed me my sin. It was specific and right out of the Bible. I found myself on my knees in repentance, and I had never previously understood. Not only did God reveal this to me, but but also he revealed to me that he forgives me and he still loves me. Uh, This, by the way, is a devotional that he wrote later. A 40-day devotional that he wrote as he finished graduate school uh, in uh, some uh, criminal law degree or something. And uh, that moment impacted his life so much. Here's the part that I want you to see, and here's what I want you to focus on today. When his story met God's story, his life changed. When he said, I prayed, I read the Bible for myself, then his life started to change. That really sums up everything I want to say to you today. When you take God's story, when you take history, his story, when you take the living word of God and you begin to read it for yourself, everything will begin to change. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind, of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. The only way to break the pattern of this world off of any of our lives is to be transformed in our thinking. Our mind has to change. Let me say it another way. God will save your soul, but your mind is your responsibility. The condition of it. I I read recently a study that was done in America. 1,000 churches, Pentecostal, Baptist, Charismatic, Catholic, uh, Church of Christ, all different kinds of churches across the country. And the question was being asked, how do churches help people grow in their faith. And let me tell you from a thousand churches what they learned, unequivocally, no second place, there's nothing that has a greater impact on a person's spiritual growth than personal engagement with the Bible. In other words, what I'm saying, when you personally engage Scripture yourself outside of church, when you wrestle with what does it mean and how would I apply that to my life, that wrestling with Scripture will have a greater impact on your spiritual growth than anything else. 
So what I would say to you or suggest to you this morning is if you don't want your life to change or you don't think it needs to change, put the Bible down and don't read it. Because reading it without wanting change or knowing you need it doesn't do you any good. You come to the Scripture with the wrong premise. So the goal of this entire series is to encourage you to read the Bible. I want to do everything that I can do to get you to read the Bible in a life-changing way. So let me give you three thoughts about that this morning. Let me give you three thoughts about, about reading the Bible in a way that will change your life. Because there is a way you can read it that won't change your life. There is a way that you can read the Bible. Just reading the Bible itself doesn't make the change. And uh, we see that because in Scripture, nobody read the Bible more than the Pharisees, and nobody was more unchanged than the Pharisees. So let me give you three, three thoughts about reading the Bible. Here's the first one. Read for transformation, not information. Read for transfer. Now, I'm going to show you this, and when I show you this, I guarantee you, you'll never look at the Bible the same again. You'll, you'll be challenged in the way that you read and in why you read. It, it will absolutely change your approach to the Bible. Read for transformation, not information. See, we've been trained to read a certain way for certain purposes. Our training tells us that reading is a fact-finding mission. That's an exercise to go get facts. So we read to gain knowledge. We read to get smarter. We read to know more things. We read the subject. We read the verb. We get the bottom line. We move on. We read to get answers to questions. And virtually everything that we've been taught about how to read is completely unhelpful when it comes to reading the Bible. It's not just the way we read, but oftentimes why we read. We are motivated by our own brokenness to crave information. And when we bring that craving to Scripture to gain knowledge, it can, it can do more harm than good. Let me show it to you in Scripture. Well, it all starts with Adam and Eve. The serpent told Adam and Eve that they would not die if they disobeyed God and ate what tree, what tree could they eat from? The tree of knowledge, right, of good and evil. Eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He said, God doesn't want you to eat this fruit because if you do, you'll be like him. You'll gain so much knowledge about good and evil that you'll actually be equal with God and God is threatened by you and so God doesn't want you to do that. So this was the temptation. So that's how the enemy came. That's how Satan came to tempt if you do eat this, you'll be like God. Now, what does Satan actually tempt Adam and Eve with? He tempts them with knowledge and power. If you disobey God, if you eat this fruit, you will gain knowledge and you will gain power. You will know what God knows and you will be like God. And ever since that time, we've had a problem with knowledge and power. It's been a big issue for us. We tend to want to use knowledge to get power. The word on the street in education and academia is you can't know too much. You can't have too much knowledge. I'm here to tell you I don't believe that's true at all. I think you can know too much. I think you can, you can get out of balance. Let me show it to you in a, in a practical way. What causes gossip? What causes gossip? It's a craving for knowledge. If I know all the juicy news before everyone else knows it, I have the knowledge that gives me power. 
and I have to keep going to get the knowledge so I can pass it on and stay powerful. So knowledge and powerful is actually uh, uh, trading in the economy of knowledge. We still crave the tree of knowledge. We wrongly think understanding brings control. The serpent said you'll be like God. So control and knowledge work together. So when we come to the Bible, because we've been taught to read this way, we tend to want to read in a way to analyze it and criticize it, and we want to read it from a distance. And the further that our culture moves from God, I guarantee you the greater scrutiny the Bible will come under. You see it on the History Channel. You see, you know, did the Bible really say this? Is the Bible really true? Is the Bi- and all of this stuff. All of this talk. The further we move from God, the more scrutiny the Bible's going to come under. Because it matches our need for control. If I can undermine the Bible as my authority, then I become my own authority. Right? Which does what? Gives me control. Isn't this exactly what the devil tempted Adam and Eve with? Eating this fruit will make you like God. Gain this knowledge and you will be like God. And then you'll be your own boss. The New Testament says it this way. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So our craving for knowledge drives us to read the Bible in a wrong way if we're not careful. We read to understand, we read to control, we read to wrap our brain around, we read to get our way, so, so we read so our life will turn out the way that we think it should, and then Scripture can then just become another tool or resource we use to get life done. I guarantee you the people in life and the people in church who cause the most problems are the ones who know the most about the Bible but have been changed the least by it. I guarantee it. When you honestly wrestle for yourself with what does this mean to me and how can I apply it? When you wrestle with it yourself, change comes. This craving for knowledge is strong, and it's been in us since sin entered the world. It shapes what we do and how we approach God. The Bible tells us that knowledge will increase, and recently it's reached a fever pitch. So now we live in a day where we have unlimited information. We're drowning in information, but a lack of transformation. It reminds me of when the uh, Israelites were walking through the wilderness, and God was feeding them manna. You remember this? And they said, we don't want manna. We're tired of manna. We started complaining. And then God said, okay, fine. If you're going to complain and you're going to rebel and you're going to have that attitude, then I'm going to feed you the quail, the birds, the meat that you asked for. But I'm going to feed you so much of them, it'll be coming out your nose. Look it up. That's what the Bible says. And I wonder if that's not how information is working now. We crave knowledge. We crave information. And now maybe God is force-feeding us information until it's running out our nose. And we neglect the manna that he's giving us, but crave the information that we have. Right? More information. When does this start? How do I get there? How do I do this? What does this mean? Where's that in history? Right? Anybody talking to your phone? We talk to the phone because we want answers. Why do we want answers? Because that gives us control. This is why we like remote control so much. Right? Because it puts us in charge. This is why we like this so much. Because it puts us in charge. Then we pick this up and we make the same mistake to think that we're in charge. And that's when the change doesn't happen. That's why we like Google, right? We don't need to ask anybody anything. We just ask Google. It's all there at our fingertips. I'm not against the technology. 
It's just a poor replacement for the Bible. It's a poor replacement for God's Word. We've got to read the Bible to have our inner man transformed, not just know more things about God. If information was the answer, how could you possibly ever explain a guy who graduates Harvard Divinity uh, with a, a valedictorian who's an atheist? Because the knowledge in itself does not transform. Look at 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. See, the Bible is our revelation of God given to transform us. To change us, to, to transform us. Our desire is to be in control. The scripture invites us to a life of surrender to God. They are, they are at polar opposites. Just like my friend here who I sat at the lunch table, he wanted to have his life his way. And he couldn't understand any other way until he met God face to face in the scripture. That revelation came. He went down on his knees. It broke his heart. It moved him to tears. And he changed. Because he wrestled with the scripture himself. The Bible is God's invitation for us to be transformed. Don't read the Bible for information, for lists and all of this. Read the Bible for transformation. Here's the second one. Read, read for transformation, not information. The second one is read for transformation, not formulation, not formulas. Sometimes the Bible doesn't impact on our life because we're coming at it with our own agenda. We're looking for a formula that will solve the need of the moment. We look for a specific passage to meet our need we're, and ignore the context, ignore uh, uh, surrender, ignore our, the call of God for a whole life surrender. In other words, we don't want to know what God has to say about other things. We just want to know what God has to say about this and then we want to move on. We want help we don't want God. And the problem is, this is his book written for his purpose. And our needs are important to God because God loves us. But they're not more important to God than him being close to us. He wrote the Bible not to give us the answers to life. He wrote the Bible so that we might understand who he is. The Bible is his revelation to us. So we're, when we're looking for something to fix the moment, we're not looking for God. So in this way, we're trying to control what comes out of the Bible rather than entering the process of that change. See, this is, this is not a magic book. It is a miraculous book, but it's not a magic book. So, uh, Psalm 4 is a verse that really uh, ministered to me about two weeks ago. I, I, I came to my devotion with a heavy heart. I opened the Bible. I was reading through Psalms. And, and the Lord really laid this on, spoke to me through this verse. Psalm 4 says, Tremble and do not sin. When you're on your bed, search your hearts and be silent. Offer the sacrifices of the righteous and trust in the Lord. Now, that spoke to me because I wondered in verse 5, Offer the sacrifices of the righteous. What is the sacrifice of the righteous? What is the sacrifice that righteous people are to bring? And so my heart was heavy with some decisions I had to make and things I needed to do. And I was conflicted inside. And all of a sudden, the Lord used this verse to speak to me and say, doing the right thing is a sacrifice to God. So in other words, sometimes I come to the Bible 
or I come to my relationship with God and I want to do the right thing because when I do, it'll produce the right result. Right? If you do this, you'll get this. If you do this thing, this will happen. And sometimes I come to my relationship with God that way, wanting to do the right thing because I want the right result to be produced. I want relief or help or whatever it is that I want. So, so many of our stories happen that way. But sometimes when you do the right thing, things get worse. They don't get better. And, and what if sometimes doing the right thing is not about things getting better or things getting fixed? What if sometimes doing the right thing is just a sacrifice of worship to God? And when God spoke that to my heart through Psalm 4, I didn't get a formula. I didn't get seven ways to get out of this. I didn't get three ways to decide. I didn't get two keys to being fixed. What I got is an encounter with God saying, for this moment in your life, you do the right thing and that will be worship to me. And, and whatever the results are, they'll be. But you worship me through a sacrifice of doing the right thing. So... In that moment when I wrestled with Scripture, when I wrestled with meeting God and His Word, my heart was changed. And so what we need today is we don't need people with answers. We need people that are transformed because there's some things in life there aren't any answers for. But a transformed person keeps us close to God and, and keeps us glorifying God. Sometimes we read the Bible and we wonder, you know, why didn't God just get on with it? You ever read it and think that? You're in Numbers, you're in Chronicles, you're reading this list, there's 7,100 grandchildren, and you're wondering, why doesn't God just get on with it? I mean, you, uh, the Bible tests our patience. And if the Bible were, you know, seven habits of highly effective people, it might be written differently. But it's not written differently. God won't just come out with it and give us the answer because he knows what we not need is not just the answer for today. We need an ongoing relationship with him. That's what he wants more than anything. So he invites us to engage the process of Scripture. So it's important to not read for the formula or the information. Read for your life to be changed. And again, if you don't recognize that need in your life, put the Bible down. It's not going to do you any good. It'll probably do more harm than good. Now, here's the last thought. I call it the transformation test. Now, we usually get this wrong. How many of you ever did a Bible race in Sunday school or a vaca uh, vacation Bible school? Or so, you do a Bible race? Okay, children, everybody take your Bible out. We're going to see who can turn to the book of, you know, Jude, the fastest, something small, something is obscure, you'll never find. Find Habakkuk. Oh, boy. That's, you know, 30 minutes later, the fifth grade class is still peeling the pages. Except the one smart aleck who goes into the index gets the page number and jumps over there. Right? The transformation test. Who can, who can name all the books of the Bible? Genesis, exit. You know, we got the little song, so we name all the books of the Bible. I remember I worked with a pastor one time who he'd come to devotions when we'd come in the morning. We'd come once a week. And he'd always pull some obscure person in the Bible and he would jump right in the middle of their story like we're all supposed to know who he's talking about. He'd be like, you know, that's, that's like, you know, uh, you know some, some name. That's like Hezekiah. That's like who, he'll throw some name out there and you go, that's like Obadiah. Or that's like Obadid. And you go, oh my gosh. And he'd just start talking about the story. And if you didn't know what he was talking about, you know, the implication was you don't know your Bible very well. 
And I was thinking, I don't, I don't even know what you're talking about. And then, then I've met people through the years that have that all, did you know that X number percentage of Christians can't name all the Ten Commandments or pastors can't? And, it, and look, here's the thing with all of this stuff. None of those are a good test if you're reading your Bible in the right way or not because they're information-based. Can you name this? Can you name that? Can you find this in 30 seconds? Do you know the Ten Commandments? Can you name the plagues? Can, and all of this stuff. Can you name the nine? Can you name the gifts of the Spirit? Can you name the fruit of the Spirit? Can you, it's all information-based. I can tell you how I felt as a person sitting there at elementary school on my desk when I went through that drill. I felt like I can't be a good Christian because I can't keep up with all this. I don't know what you're talking about. And it feels like failure. And it's not because it's information-based Christianity, not transformation-based. Let me give you a transformation test that will prove or help you find if your Bible reading is working, if it's doing what it's supposed to do, if you're reading it in the right way. Let me give you a transformation test. It's 1 Corinthians 13, 1 and 2. The Bible says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries, watch this, and all what? And all knowledge. And if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, what am I? I'm nothing. What is the transformation test? It has to do with love. Is your meeting in Scripture causing you to love God more? Is your meeting in Scripture causing you to love people more? Then if it's not, it's not working. You don't come to Scripture as a journalist or as a student or as a scientist or a mathematician or, or, or a journalist. We come to Scripture as a child seeking his or her father. Looking for deeper relationship with the Father. The Bible says knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. I'm going to ask our worship team to come and uh, Paige, if you would come and join me this morning. We've been talking about the soapbox. How then would you read the Bible? Uh, Mark, can you, can you get the uh, microphone that was there? How can you read the Bible, if you don't mind, just stand by our soapbox. This is our soapbox. Uh, if, Soap is a way that I've given you to read the Scripture in the month of October. Scripture, observation, application, and prayer. And so I've asked Paige to come this morning. This is what we call the soapbox. It's the box that we're going to stay on anyway. It's funny to me. It's a box we're going to stay on for the whole month of October. And I've been inviting you to read the Scripture with us, but to read it in a way that changes your life. And so what I ask uh, Paige to do this morning is just come and share the soap that she had this week. Go ahead. Good morning. I'm going to read from Isaiah 60, verse 19 through 20, which reads, The sun shall no longer be your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give light to you. But the Lord will be to you an everlasting light, and your God your glory. Your sun shall no longer go down, nor shall your moon withdraw itself. For the Lord will be your everlasting light and the days of your morning shall be ended. So in observation, when I quieted my heart to observe why the Holy Spirit highlighted this verse for me, I heard that here on earth, the sun sets and the moon fades, but our Lord, our God, never sets or fades. 
Light and comfort are no longer withdrawn when we seek the light and rest of our Lord and Savior. He calms the chaos of my world and our lives with his lightness and peace. And if I can get through the application. <laughs> I am so busy. I'm a wife of a wonderful husband who works swing shifts. I'm a mom of two amazing but very, very busy children. I work full-time as a nurse in hospice, and I volunteer in so many roles. I wake up to the early light of the day with a schedule. And into the dark, for far too long, I'm still trying to complete my schedule with excellence. Light and dark mean to me, in my flesh, work. But what I feel the Holy Spirit say in this page, I am far brighter in the day than the works that you are striving for. I'm your rest that you long for come dark. The days are no longer about accomplishments that you expect, but to grow in me and be more of what I see you to be and less of the world. The light and the dark are your hope and rest, and I promise if you'll seek me in your day, we'll get there. So my prayer, if you'll join me, is Lord, help me to feel that everlasting peace that I seek in you despite this broken world and my very hectic life. Help others to see you through me in the places I work and serve in my family so that you become far greater and I become less. But also help me to expect, expect less of me, turning it over to you. You are my light, my rest, and my constant. little lady could come here and hear me preach a hundred sermons and not be changed the way she was when she opened her own Bible. And did you hear her heart? How many of you feel too busy? <laughs> right? Everybody, everybody could identify with that, couldn't they? Would you just give her a great hand? Thank you so much for sharing. That was incredible. If you go on our website, maybe you weren't here last week. We've got some under on, on the history box. You can push it. And it'll give you how to do a soap. In other words, how do I... We've got a scripture reading plan for October. We read a chapter a day. We've got uh, verses. What you're looking for is the Holy Spirit to, to highlight one of those verses. And then you just observe what you see. Why did God point this verse out to me? And then how can I apply it? And then you then you pray. You can do this in about 20 or 25 minutes. Um, and so we've got one chapter for every day of the month, this month. And so here's our big deal. Man, I, I want you to... I want you to know the joy. I want you to know the change. I want you to know the strength. I want you to know the power of reading the Bible yourself because you find God in there. God, God reveals Himself in there. Now look, I want to take a little bit of what Paige said and, and build on it for a minute. Busyness, right? Uh, here's what I wanted to do. This past week, I wanted to do, you know... I said, okay, God, I want to do five, all right? Now, look, so everybody's on a different level. Some of you have been, you know, doing stuff like this seven days a week for years. Okay, great. I, I, I don't, I can't. But I thought, I want to do five. Now, just so you'll know, I want to read five chapters, and I want to have that time with God. And I have a prayer time beyond that that I do. 
But I want to do the scripture that way. I only made four. I made four this week. Uh, our, we had a couple of really rough nights with our kids. Uh, I had three hours sleep two nights this week. And, and, it, and it just, my best intentions didn't come through. So what do you do when that happens? What? You get up the next day and start over, right? So what I want you to know is, and, and bring, come to the scripture, I think, I remember when I was young in faith, I tried to read too much of the Bible. And of course I failed. But I tried to read too much of the Bible because I felt so bad about how much I hadn't read. That I was trying to catch up with everybody else that I knew. And here's what I want you to know. This isn't a way for you to, this isn't a plan for you to start and quit or to feel guilty or all of that stuff. Why don't you decide how you're going to feel about your relationship with God is based on His death and resurrection, not how many times you did your devotions this week. Right? Are you with me? So now you're free. Now I don't have to decide, well, I did my devotions yesterday, or I read my Bible, or I had this week. Some of you have all kind of crazy stuff happen in your life. I just, maybe for some of you in the room, you're going to start this week and you're going to get one. Then I say, yes! That's maybe one you didn't get last week. Some of you might do it two or three times. Yes! Come on, come on, jump in. Maybe, maybe you've been solid there and you do five or six or seven. The, ver- the scriptures are there. Man, I want to encourage you to join us and I want to encourage you to read the Bible and let God touch your life. So stand with me this morning and I just want to pray with you. I want to pray with you today. And we're just going to have a closing prayer together. And here's what I want to ask you to do. I'm just going to ask you to pray with me. That's it. Right where you're standing, I want everybody in the room to pray with me. And I want to ask you to personally engage God yourself right now. And as we pray together, I want you to unpack what's on your heart about God, about His Word, about what you would like Him to do in your life, about what you hear Him say. So let's pray. Let's let's take three or four minutes. We're going to close in prayer. We're going to go. But would you pray with me now? Every eye closed in the room. Would you just find a place you can get still for a minute? Lord Jesus, I thank you today for the Word of God that is alive and active. And Lord, I thank you for the Spirit of God that enlivens us, that awakens us to your Word. Lord, I ask for the person that's here today who says, I, I, I just, I try, I don't have any discipline, I don't have any commitment, I don't, I, I don't have any desire. God, I pray this morning that by the work of your Holy Spirit that you would enliven that person. You would put an appetite and a hunger and a longing and a craving in their heart. Lord, I pray for the person who says, I'm overwhelmed, my life is overwhelmed. I don't know how to fit anything else in. God, I pray they would feel your grace today and that grace of God would give them power. Power to live, power to engage, power to find once or twice this week. They could could find you in your word. Lord, I pray for the person who's in Kingwood for the very first time this morning. Who says, why am I here? Lord, I pray, I believe if they're here today, you brought them as a divine appointment to show them your word, to show them you, to show them your love and your word. And so, Lord, I pray you administer your word to that person. God, I, I pray for the one who is reading, but nothing's happening. Reading, but nothing's changing. 
pursuing you, but nothing seems to be moving. Lord, I pray today that you would enliven them, that they may, they may come to your word with expectation, come to your word with faith, come to your word to hear, not to see. Come to your word to be changed, not to know more things. God, I pray your living word would cut our hearts. And would, would everyone just join me this morning in this closing prayer? And would you just say, God, I repent today for my neglect of your word. Lord, I surrender. I lay down the weight. I lay down the guilt. I lay down the frustration. I lay down the fear. I lay down any intimidation that I have about your word. That I don't know it enough. That I don't read it enough. God, I lay all those things down at your feet this morning. And I invite the Holy Spirit right now to help me. You are the helper. You are the comforter. Help me this morning, Lord. Help me today. And and just in your own way, would you say this? Would you say this prayer with me? By God's grace, I will find God in His Word this week. By God's grace, I will... Matter of fact, would you just repeat that with me? By God's grace, I will meet God in His Word this week. One more time. By God's grace, I will meet God in His Word this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Great to have you here today.